And we are back for another edition of the Daily Dots and uh, <clears throat> joined by the uh, the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. Um, what do we got on the day today? So markets, I, I didn't check the close, but NASDAQ finishing up about right around half a percent. S&P, NASDAQ up 0.6, S&P up 0.4, Dow up 0.4. Um, small caps are actually down. They went from down to up to down. Well, yeah, because they're small caps. They do what they want. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, small caps aren't as good because big caps are bigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literally true right now. I mean, big caps are the amplifier that can go to 11, not 10. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's oil down over three and a half percent. Certainly notable today, down under $69. How big of a headwind does that, how big of a, or excuse me, how big of a tailwind does that give to the economy? So I think when you combine gas prices getting cheaper all of a sudden with the fact that you know everyone's stock and bond portfolio is is just ripped in the last six weeks, everyone. I, I I think I think that is. I mean, it's not. It's definitely not nothing. Like people people are rolling their debt higher. You know, it's not going to be that great for them. But it it is a significant tailwind to the consumer uh, in the short term. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, which is why we've, you know, kind of been talking about, Hey, data is probably going to bounce for a couple months. We're in this weird cycle. It's like a feedback loop of, um, the fed gets happy whenever things start looking bad and then they get happy. So everyone prices in a bunch of cuts and then the market gets happy and then the data gets better and then the fed has to turn around and get hawkish again. So like their hawkishness makes everything get worse and then they get happy because it gets worse, but then their happiness just turns around and flips the thing on its head. So we're still in that cycle. Yeah, NASDAQ pushing up toward 0.7 here right at the close. Um, <clears throat> interesting thing is we've got, we've pushed up right against those levels that we were keying. Yep. Uh, NASDAQ is now at the highest level. It has been since April of last year. Uh, S&P at the highest level, it's been uh, – jeez, let me pull this chart. Hot minute. Very, very strong like last three days. I mean, you're just fractions below the peak, forty-seven, sixty-six. Yeah, you're a hundred, hundred and twenty S and P points away from the all-time high. Yeah, that could happen any day. Oh, that could happen in a day. Yep. Um, I really have. I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of commentary today. I, I just continue to watch this market ramp like this, and you're going crazy. Like the fed just released stimulus. I, this, this just, I don't know. You can jump in here at any time. I, I don't really have, um, I don't really have a view here <laughs> quite honestly. I mean, if I look at the charts, I, I, I personally, I'm going to stick to my knitting here, which is I haven't been watching the, the, the S P or even the Dow just cause I don't think it matters. Uh, I think the NASDAQ is the only game in town. And I, that to me, if you look out, you're seeing clear breakout signs yeah. on, on the Dow and the S and P 100%. Yep. I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, that hasn't mattered and in this the, cycle. And then yeah, the, break, breakout levels on that do not matter. It's what the NASDAQ does period. End of story, full stop. And it's right at kind of it, you know, the NASDAQ the, the right line there. for itself. Yeah. Uh, it's right on that line. Positive above it. And then, and then the Qs, the NASDAQ 100 are literally just on on their line right now and when i say line it was like a drawn on a monthly chart it was like kind of the peak from well the peak in the whole thing so 
And the only reason why I, I just want to see confirmation of at least a few days of the NASDAQ breaking at that point. And then, I mean, you and I can talk, we haven't really addressed this off air or, 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 but, um, I, I do think if the NASDAQ breaks above that level and can hold there for even two days, I, I think you have to be long the cues into the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, I still, because then the still next, we probably stop, melt up. Yeah. Because then the next stop is just the all time high. Right. I, I mean, there's just nothing else there. And there, there's just An no way. <laughs> well, then there's no man's land there. It doesn't even make sense for it to stop there. It makes right. sense. I mean, people are like, what do you mean it makes sense? Look, guy, once again, let's just acknowledge that we're in. A, I, I think that this job becomes a little easier if you acknowledge that we're in a market that is completely detached from fundamentals. It's not what's driving things. It doesn't care. Like, just accept it. Yeah, full stop. Yep. And at some point, it most likely will again in the future. It just doesn't right now. Yeah. We were talking about earlier, like it, you turn capital markets into a, a just a retirement like bucket, essentially. That's it. It's a bucket for people to retire with. Yeah. They don't respond to interest rate movements. People are like, what about last year? And you're like, well, yeah. Yeah. The S&P pulled back 21% from what, 34 times earnings based on, based on the highest, most violent interest rate jack in history. And those rates don't come don't come down at all. On an inflation adjusted basis, you got earnings and revenues negative over the next year, and the S and P bounces back and reclaims almost all of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just think that you've got all of it. I think if you're still trying to look at this through a fundamental lens, you're going to drive yourself insane. Yes. More importantly, you're going to end up on the wrong side of it. Correct. Right. The other thing to keep in mind now, although the the trappings around it are very different, this is a very unique cycle. This is what this is. It's not unique to this cycle. That type of magical thinking. Now, this is the longest, biggest bull market in U.S. history. But that type of magical thinking is always what propels stock markets much further than they should go. Right? Yeah, this is a great way of saying it because the same thing that puts in a market top is also kind of the same thing in a way that gives you the last fifty to one hundred and fifty percent. So, like. That's why it's so hard to to go do anything even similar to picking a top. That's why the, the drucks of the world were, you know, long the queues right into ninety nine. Like because the the difference between what a top looks like and what the last fifty hundred percent of it looks like, it did. Good, good luck. Good luck parsing out the difference. Well, yeah, I mean, like you and I have joked about several times. What's the difference between twenty five and forty five times revenue? Right, exactly. There isn't any. They're right. both ridiculous on an accounting basis. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous, especially with a 5.5% Fed funds rate. It's ludicrous, right? But I mean, you literally are watching people every single day choose to purchase a stock at one-third the earnings yield that they can get in the, in the risk-free rate. I, I just – if you don't believe that this market is detached from fundamentals, I'll just leave that little deal there for you. Explain to me why people are – climbing over each other to purchase stocks at an earnings yield of one third the risk-free rate. And one of the things that I've learned in my career is when markets are behaving like that, you don't need to play it either way, but get out of the way, right? Just don't fight it. Right. Cause they can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And if this year is not a perfect example of that, um, you know, I don't know what, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. One of the other things I did want to hit on though, is because, you know, and you and I have been having this conversation for a while, but you have a bull bear kind of debate. And I hate being categorized as a bear just because. Same. Like, I feel like I've been an e- 
I'm happy to own a bear on the economy for a while, but not not the market necessarily. Like those aren't the same. No, no, and I feel like a bear is cautious. Somebody, yes, but yeah, I think. Well, I, look, if you're not caught, if you're not cautious here, you're an idiot. Yeah. No, no, I you yeah. just you are because yeah. history is so against you, and you can you can play your fake verbose stature and bears always get wrecked. Indeed, you can play all that game all you want. Okay. Bottom line is you're playing you're playing for an outcome that has never materialized ever. Doesn't mean it can't. Right. Right. Look, if anything, the last three years have taught us is that you can have the largest economic shock in history and have a really solid year in the stock market. Yeah. I mean, just again, you know, you and I have talked about how COVID, in our opinion, kind of changed the rules or the landscape. And that's still very much in place. But here is the issue. And I, I think that um I, I read a I read an, a market forecast by Ed Yardini. Now Ed Yardini Yardini Research, he's got a very good track record. Uh, he got slaughtered in 2000, but a lot of people did. Right. He's had an incredible, a, a very I want to I don't want to overstate it. He's had a very good he's a reputable guy. Yep. Uh, with a reputable track record, and a, and a lot of very good calls, especially at inflection points or turning points in markets. Um. But I was reading what he was – his outlook, and he's calling for – I, I want to say 6,000 on the S&P by the end of next year, I think is what he said. I don't want to misquote him. Maybe it was 50. I think it was 6,000 by the end of next year. And <clears throat> what his state – maybe it wasn't that high. Anyway, whatever. It, it just he's It's all good. Everything's great. But as I was reading his argument, there was something that just jumped off the page at me, Right? <laughs> He's calling for earnings acceleration next year amidst a slowing economy. And now I think we've all heard the narrative so many times. Yeah. He, I think we're almost – He has the market going up 30% next year. Yeah, 30. Okay, so, so 6,000. 6, okay, yeah. That's his target. I didn't misstate it. Okay, on an earnings explosion. Okay. And lower rates. I, 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 now listen, there's so many guys out there singing this same line. 100%. Right. So I'm not just singling them out, not trying to call it. This isn't about, like I said, I have a lot of respect for the guy. This isn't about him. This is about using his example of what we're grappling with on the economic side of things. Okay. You have seen record profits on the S&P over the last two years, record margins, record everything. You've seen the biggest ramp in consumer spending in history over the shortest period of time. Okay. First of all, if what he's saying is correct, he's saying that this is the beginning of a cycle, right? That's the argument he's making. There are no other cycles that have started anywhere close to this. Find me a cycle that started with the market at 26 times earnings. You can just start there right now. I feel like the earnings numbers has become one of the most meaningless just because of, you know, there there's, I think they're more massaged than they've ever been. Um, you also have a market that's trading agnostic of, of valuations and fundamentals. So you got to kind of set that aside, but then go look at record housing and affordability, 3.7% unemployment. Um, you know, go look at, go look at bank lending, um, go look, all these things. They just, and then market and real estate prices where they are, there's just, I just don't I, – I how do you – if your bull case for equities at 26 times earnings is that the economy is going to slow down, therefore earnings are going to moon? Yeah, I don't get that at all. Like he, he definitely 
He's also, I know he's called for a productivity boom, but I can't imagine he thinks that's like going to be enough of a driver in 2024 to like really help out with that. But this whole, yeah. Oh, thank, oh, oh, thank, you know, thank God the, the economy's slowing down. And so that, so that, you know, uh, revenues can like go higher. Just, I just can't wrap my head. Well, and, I, and look, I'm not saying he's doing this because I know he knows this. He's not fat, but you know, it's like the article I was reading of every inflation indicator is now back to normal levels. The crisis avoided. You're like, Hey guys, that means that prices have gone up like a crazy amount in the last three years. And that means that now they're only going up by an average amount. Not nothing's come down, right? Nothing's come down. So if your argument is, well, yeah, but the economy is going to decelerate, but that's going to take pre- uh, pressure off inflation. Therefore, input costs and 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 costs that uh, companies are paying is less. And you go, no, no, no. They'll be paying less if you get deflation. Yeah. And Generally speaking, right now, oil can do its own thing. Like we talked about. Right, oil. right. Exactly. But uh, I just you, – you literally it, – it, you've gotten to a point where – now, I do think that you made a point earlier that we need to be – I'm not and – I, and I said this on Twitter. I was like, I'm not saying his market calls wrong. If anything, this year has proven to me that I literally, like no other time I've personally witnessed in history, the way we value securities is probably not in the top five to ten factors of the way they're currently being looked at. Right? I think that's probably fair. Yeah. And, and you, can just, you can just try that. Go read – go pull out ten different uh, stock market articles, just generic ones. And see how many talk about valuation. Yeah. No, none of them. You won't right. find anywhere, right? So no, no one's investing on any sort of long time horizon anymore. So no. you, and yeah, all those articles are going to be about what happened last month and what might happen next month. Yep. Yep. And that's that's the that's pretty much the entirety of the game at this point. But that's what we're, you know, just to understand, it's not sitting there saying market's doing this, market's doing that. It's sitting there saying that, and this has been this has been a very big this using this type of logic and this type of reasoning has been very key to my uh track record if you will meaning some of my biggest wins have come when i've looked back and said uh this market narrative is incorrect like you know when i could unequivocally prove and it doesn't happen a lot because usually if you think it's incorrect there's somewhat of a disagreement going on but meaning outside of AI coming to the fore in a un, an inconceivable way next year and it resulting in an immediate productivity boom. And I mean, outside of something like that occurring, you you just can't even make the math work. Yeah, and we're already we're already pricing in the whatever it is, eleven, twelve percent earnings growth. So if you're gonna go to six, I think you know that you need more like fifteen percent earnings growth or something and I just I don't understand where that where that's coming from. I I, I especially I, looking at the way you know I mean look at what is going on with commodity prices right now. So you you know for the next quarter you're going to have pretty rough you know comps for you know, like the you're going to have year over year pain in earnings for for the entire energy sector, which was a big part of your earnings that you posted this year. So like yeah, it's just even on the even on the basic consumer side, I I mean. I just don't don't understand where it's coming from. Yeah, it's it's like everybody's pretending that the I, I can see all that stuff kind of flatlining and being like right around like negative one to one to two yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, but what what you're going to be asking of the consumer is 
to step it up a lot over what they did this year. <laughs> with less money, essentially. I just don't. I do, right. Yes, real incomes like all of a sudden are doing doing you know a lot better, but we forget that we had negative real incomes that we have not. You know, we haven't had enough positive real income to like a, address that. No, no, and, no. But this is also the lens that the market's been looking at everything through, and the media has been looking at everything through for three three years. Though you you look at it, and they're like, "Well, look at real wages," and you go, "Hey, guys, you know what you call that? I mean, if you're looking at a three year chart of real wages, you know what you call this? They're talking. It's called a dead cat bounce, meaning you just had the worst run in real wages over a three year period in history, the worst. And we and clearly the labor market chart is loosening up the last six months. So like. Yeah, where where are the pressures going to be to keep wages high? The, the, on, on, you know, for everybody, clearly some some fields will stay high. But the the other thing I think is fascinating is that to me, and I really haven't felt like this for a very long time. I matter of fact, I can't recall it. I'm really not a negative person. You and I are not neg- Uber bears. We're not perma bear. You know, just I think if anybody that does this business for long enough knows the only guy that gets killed is a perma bear. Yeah, it's, I always say there's always a bull market somewhere. So yep. like, I, I'm never particularly bearish in, in any sort of general way. No, but when you listen to this narrative and it's just it's just so intensely vapid and you just hear it parroted so many times over and over and over and everybody's just rolling with it. And I don't think anybody really is stepping back and saying, like you said, what will this require? Right. The the only way the cost side of this equation changes a lot in terms of giving a boost to earnings is if potentially something really nasty happened in the economy. You need deflation for that to occur. Right. Um, you know, I. Yeah, I just. And even then, the the denominator part is so bad that it gets tough. I mean, one of the reasons earnings in the stock market and wages and everything has gone up a lot is because, I mean, you need to base money so much in, in like a three, four year period, like. Well, if you kind of stop doing that and you let it come back to earth some, well, you just unwound, you know, the the some of the denominator part that was so helpful for you. Yeah. The 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 other part that I was getting to too though was that you you see this again, I feel it feels to me like Uber bulls and or perma bulls and perma bears have flipped space spaces. Right. You see perma bulls grabbing onto one piece of data, right? And just parroting it. And then when that piece of data or that piece of information deteriorates, they grab onto another one. Right. And you know, Oh, well there's an intense housing shortage and that's going to be a bullish deal. No, there's not a housing shortage. Oh, there's going to be an earnings explosions next year. And it's going to be based off a productivity boom that we haven't seen yet occur. The beautiful one about that assertion is we can't prove it wrong with any, any data they have today, but this, the, this is the crazy part about it, right? Markets are supposed to factor in all available data. You've got markets and market participants and media that are literally saying, no, ignore everything negative, which the preponderance of you know data and eighty five to ninety five percent of it is negative, and they're you know the base case has become the red the red herring, if you will, right? Uh, it, yeah, I it, it's just it's it's just a hard. I, and again, I, I don't want to sound too fundamental or, you know, I've just said that earnings multiples don't mean what they used to. And it, it, again, all that. <laughs> but then when you add into this a backstop of a market trading is 26 times earnings, that's just where you, you know, you, it's kind of where you sit back and you're like, guys, how good do you want it to be? You know what I mean? Like what, what's good? I mean, you're, you're 60% above the long-term market average valuation with a Fed funds rate at five and a half and all LEIs pointing negative. What, 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 
what's what what will do and, it for and rate hikes in in a lot of ways just starting to be felt in the last few months and and coming off of record profits and record margins yeah i and, just you it, to 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 have that outlook you literally and i again i'm not saying the market can't go higher this year is proof that it doesn't care about fundamentals that being said i i think you're at the point where it's such an extended argument that you think stocks are going to continue to rally. If you're making a fundamental argument, you're, you're, you're saying that trees can grow to the sky. And something, something I, want to, I want to get in here that we talked about earlier that I think is really important because I find that people aren't thinking about it or talking about it is even if we do start a rate cutting cycle, let's say the Fed starts doing 25 basis points per quarter, uh, start, even starting in, in Q1. We've pushed the, the cuts from March back to May. But let's say they start shoot let's say they start next month whatever um that gets you to four after like a year and a half if that's all if that's all you did and i I know we're pricing more than that now but let's let's say we're at four a year and a half from now that is still so much higher than zero or one or two that there are trillions of dollars that have to to refi in that 18 months that are going to have a problem like even if we're in a cutting cycle the effective interest rate the economy is paying is going to keep ratcheting higher in the same way that the last 18 months, it didn't feel like rates mattered, rate hikes mattered. The next 18 months, it could feel like rate cuts won't matter. That cuts both ways. This is what I don't understand about the whole cutting. If you listen to the guys saying that interest rate cuts are what is going to drive a 20 or 30% market increase next year, you look at them and ask them how many, and they're like, we think the Fed's going to cut 25 bips twice. And you look at them and go, explain to me what that does right yeah. what, what is that no no like you, you go, said you gotta go far no it like matter because you just made a per- if the fed cuts let's say the fed cuts 100 basis points next year everybody including me and your effective interest rate still moves higher yeah exactly Every, everything that's getting rolled from two three years ago is still still a nasty reprice and then if you're well i think the fed's going to cut 250 basis points well then you think a bomb's about ready to go off yeah exactly I just – these are the things that I'm just sitting there going, you know, and people are like, well, you were slow to grab the COVID rebound 100%. I'll yeah. take full tilt yeah. for that. Same. But but I also wasn't sitting there saying this can't happen or this doesn't make any sense. The, my whole thing at the time was I didn't think – and we've got actually a lot of historical data to, to back this position up. I, I just didn't think that consumers would be that fast to deploy the stimulus given how – tepid the environment was, right? And we've seen examples of that in the past, that a lot of stimulus in the past had been banked, just banked by consumers. Um, COVID was decidedly different, right? I mean, that they got that money in and it was going out, baby. Um, So that was the gist then. It wasn't that now you're just looking at this and saying, you know, and, and, and to some degree, it'd be easier for me to buy a scenario if somebody just said, hey, look, I think the market's been gamified. I think it's turned into a retirement manufacturer and I just think the Fed isn't going to let it go and the you know, US government's going to keep running high deficits and it's going to keep pushing higher. I can get that, right? I don't right. think that's going to take place, but I don't give it – I don't consider it a tail risk of that taking place. I think it's certainly possible. Where I have a really tough time is when you're going to start trying to make an economically-based argument for an acceleration in profits. Yeah, maybe it just, it just doesn't sell as well to say – uh, look, more money's going into the retirement machine that's coming out at the end. Like, 
I guess that that's just not sexy enough for people to to say. Or you know, the the cuppy approach. Look, they're just the government's spending too much money, so the, so everything's probably going to be fine. Yeah, like I I can respect that because it it's log it has some logical underpinnings that you're like look at it and you're like yeah that might be true. Or or even the productivity boom. Like hey look, AI is going to change everything. Productivity will make. It will basically give the Fed a get out of jail free card. There, there's another way to look at it, though, and I think the other side of the coin is this. And I'm and, I, and to be clear, I'm not sure which side of the coin I'm believing at the moment. The flip side of heralding lower energy prices is, I think I haven't heard anybody ask the question about why are why is oil come down so much? Yeah, it's it's, it's a very fair point. Um, I, in my opinion, we've reached the point. And we've gone from 95 to 68 in under three months. I mean, this is a big move. Um, that, that is not th- there's typically no, the no way. <laughs> there's no way none of that was economic weakness. Right. That, let's put it this way. That is not typically the kind of move that you would see set up an earnings explosion. Yeah, that too. I, it's, it's not – now, stable oil, I'm not saying oil needs to be going up, but you know, let's say you'd have hovered between 70 to 80 next year, this year. That, that, that would be a more plausible argument to me. But yeah. when oil moves that much, it's telling you something. Right. It's and it's not – like if, you, if it goes 15, 20 bucks, you're like, look, that's just paper traders and positioning and you know, all that. Or, you know, the, the Chinese, you know, they stopped buying a bunch because they, they got filled up. Like all those kinds of things, I, I'll buy it for 15, 20 bucks. When when it has gone as far as it has though, like what was it twenty seven dollars in under three months? I'm, you're basically melting ten dollars a month. That there's no way economic weakness isn't playing a role there. Just, here, here here's the other that. here's the other thing, and I'll keep going back to this. While while OPEC does more cuts along the way, here, here's the other thing. I'll go back to this. If you're really growing at an eight percent nominal rate, you're not going to see oil come down that much that fast. You're just not. There, there, I am convinced that something. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's a conspiracy. There's a lot of crazy things going on right now that I think is putting a lot of noise into data. And I think it's one of the things you and I have talked about, about being too bearish on the data, because the same thing applies to da- the, the negative data that we're looking at, right? Just taking everything with a grain of salt. Um, but I, <laughs> I, if you're, I just continue to believe that for one reason or – first of all, I do believe that inflation is structurally understated. And I think that's where a lot of confusion is. Yeah. I, re- I really do. And I don't think it's like we're showing three and it's at 15. I'm not saying that. I just think it's yeah, structure. Math doesn't work either. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying I think it's structurally understated. Here's the other thing. If you're growing at an eight and a half percent nominal rate, unless you're coming out of a recession, like you're coming, right? It's your first quarter up coming out low of a recession. Yeah. yeah. A extraordinarily low base, digging out of a lot of, you know, digging out of a lot of overhang. Um if you're growing at that rate, you just don't see oil. I'm just sorry. You just don't see a moving oil like that. It just – something is goofy, right? There just is. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to make it of all. Th- well, I do know what to make of it all. That's the crazy part. When you look at all the different pieces, you sit back and go, oh, well, it looks like a recession. And everybody's like, no, no. It couldn't be. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't end up – maybe it doesn't end up materializing. I, I just – it's just odd to me how the base case has been the thing that is – historically speaking, the least likely to occur. And that's that's the odd part to me. And I think like you said it perfectly, where you wouldn't have been surprised for things kind of wish-wash back and forth this year and kind of go sideways. What The crazy part to me is everybody is taking the least likely in terms of historical averages, the least likely outcome and making that the base case. And 
I just I, I'm having a very hard time wrapping my heads around head around that. And I'll continue to say that I think that what you're seeing from a lot of this commentary is people constructing a narrative around market moves as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Just like we were talking about earlier, Wall, Wall Street predicted the stock market would go down this year. Why? Because they were in the middle of a bad year and they extrapolated. What is everyone going to do for next year? They're in the middle of a just red hot market. They're going to extrapolate it and say the market's going to go up a bunch. Yep. So there we go. Anything new? We had the inflation report today came out. It was pretty blase though. Really nothing stood out. Yeah. Honestly, that pretty big nothing burger. Um, and to, to basically play right into the hands of what you're making fun of other people for saying earlier, the only inflation left essentially is car insurance and housing. We know the housing one is is, an, is essentially dead in real life. So we, we know that you look at leading indicators for how much it costs for repairs and parts and everything. It, it that suggests that the car insurance one should chill out too. So housing and car insurance are the only like significant drivers left. You strip those out and you're basically nothing. Um, but to your point, all essentially in line, nothing to really even talk about there. And then NFIB well, small the, business. Well, I think the other point you, you, we pull those out as silver linings, but both of those two things doing really good are not relief to consumers either. Right, exactly. And and I do you're right. It, it is totally lost in people, especially policymakers. Um and obviously for for macro analysis, like you you have to just completely anchor to the actual number because that's all the Fed cares about. But in real life, and they're gonna be confused why people are struggling a year from now, but in real life, the fact that your car insurance has shockingly went up thirty percent and your home insurance and you know, like basically everything in your life just took a 30% gap up on you over a three year period. Like that, the fact that it stopped going up, it's, 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 it's only okay. If you're getting, if you're one of the very, very fortunate people out there getting giant raise. And, and if you're not just the fact that the level went up so much on you is just massively painful. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and speaking of that, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but the, the, the social security raise next year is, like a third of the last one like that that's significant yeah that's a that's going to be a hitter too the other thing too is if you're projecting uh rates to go back down you know i think you and i have discussed this at least in the short term because when rates go up there's an immediate benefit especially to savers they start making higher rates of interest really quick right but there's a lag effect as it relates to spending because just because rates go up a lot doesn't mean you're going to go out and finance anything you will eventually Right. But there's also a lag effect there too, which is if part of your base case is that rates are going to go down in this environment, that's less ammunition that savers are yeah, getting paid. It, it, it really is going to be difficult for it to do anything. If you look at how many, how many people have mortgages, say over 5%, it is, is so few as a percentage. So you could do a couple cuts and almost nobody can refi. You could do really four cuts and almost nobody can refi. So like commercial they, office space is in the same problem. They don't need it doesn't it doesn't pencil out at four and a half either. No, they don't need seventy five basis points. They need two hundred and fifty. Yep. And then even then, at two hundred and fifty basis points, you're gonna have a good amount of properties that go into default anyway. Yeah, exactly. So all right, pal. Anything else we got? What, what do we got coming up the rest of the week? Uh, we get to uh, hang out with Jay Powell tomorrow. That's the, that's the biggest thing I got for now. Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, you're not gonna want to miss that. Until tomorrow, we'll see you then. You're listening to another edition of The Daily Dots. And thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.